0: Thank you, Daniel. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are watching uh, <coughs> Excuse me, online. Our, our scripture passage this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 and then reflect on that story together. Uh, as Steve said earlier, it's the first Sunday of Lent, and so we're focusing on Jesus. For the next six weeks, we'll be just picking up different stories about Jesus and following him as he goes to the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be saved. Matthew 4, starting out for verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After, 40, uh, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread, make a meal. This story comes at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and, and if we're going to understand, if we're going to understand what's going on here in this story, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit because it, it, this is actually kind of a really cool event that's happening. But if we get some background, we can understand it. So let me kind of explain a few things here of what Matthew is doing. Here's a map again, basically an outline of Israel. You got Jerusalem there. You got the Sea of Galilee at the top. You've got the Jordan River coming there down. That makes up the border on that side. Now. We go to the beginning. Matthew tells us Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a little bit to the south, a little bit to the west of Jerusalem, outside of that city. Jesus is born there. Now, when, when Jesus was a baby, Herod was king, and Herod was threatened by Jesus already, and so you might remember the story. Herod uh, said all the two-year-old babies and under need to be killed, all the boys, just kill them all and that way I'll get rid of this king. Joseph and Mary heard about this, Jesus' mom and dad. They heard about this, and so they took Jesus to Egypt. Okay, we'll come back to that. They took Jesus to Egypt. Herod died not too much later. They came back, and they brought Jesus up to Nazareth, and that's where he grew up. That's where he matured. He went to school. He learned scripture. He studied the Bible. He, he studied a, a trade of some sort. He, he was probably a carpenter like his father. He you know, So Jesus is doing that. He grows up in, in Nazareth, and then when he's 30 years old, when he's 30 years old, he knows it's time. It's time to start the journey. It's time to start the ministry. It's time to start his, his task. He knows that God has called him to preach, to teach, and ultimately to go to a cross. So, I, I mean, imagine if you can, and Jesus was human, right? So he, he had to be a little bit like, all right, let's go, but also a little bit like, let's not. How about we do this at 31, <laughs> But we we'll wait till 30. How about we take another year? I need another year of preparation. But it was time. And, and, and so you kind of got a picture at this point in the gospel. What's happening is Jesus is, is saying, all right, game on. Game on. Battle on. So he goes down, we're told, the Jordan River. And he comes over to this side where John, his cousin John, is baptizing, calling to repentant and baptizing. Jesus says, John, it's time baptize me. John says, I can't, I shouldn't. Jesus says, no, do this. So John baptized Jesus. And an amazing thing happens. This is the end of chapter three. Okay, this is sort of the transition from preparation into ministry. An amazing thing happens. What happens is that Jesus comes up out of the water, verses 16 and 17, chapter three, Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens opened up. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing on him, alighting on him. So Jesus is here, and he's ready to take on the battle. But the dove comes, the Holy Spirit comes. And a voice, the voice of the Father said from heaven, this is my Son whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. And so you just think about that moment, what it would have been like for Jesus. Again, he's about to start the challenge. He's about to run the course that God has set aside. And the Father comes to him. And the Spirit comes to him, and they surround the Son, all three of them there. And it's like, okay, we, we love you. It's time. And we are, we are going to be praying for you. We are going to be with you uh, in a certain way. We're going to be there. But, but you know what? you got to go. But, but we love you. And for Jesus, that had to be like, okay. And then we come to chapter 4. Jesus is now ready to start his ministry. Jesus is now ready to start his work and look at what happens. He goes off by himself. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He has this holy, amazing moment with the Father and the Spirit. And, and the Spirit leads him. The Spirit takes him out into the wilderness. It would have been an area here, outside of Jerusalem. It, this is a, I've been there. It's desolate. It's dead. It's rock. It's not sand and ice. It is just rock and scrub and very few no trees it's just dead and the spirit says this is where you start this is where it begins and the spirit says you're on your own at one level the spirit says now you got jesus is the only one who can run this course so jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness in order to face temptation and i find that interesting why Why start here? I mean, why not do a few miracles, get a little bit of a following, right? Why not start with a a sermon series on your vision for the renewal of God's kingdom? Why not start? No, he starts in the desert, in the wilderness, on his own, fighting the devil one-on-one. Why? Why is this the place to start? Understanding this is going to be really helpful in understanding the whole New Testament. You see what's happening is this. In order to save us, Jesus first has to win where we lost. In order to save us, Jesus has to run the race, and where we failed, he needs to win. I, I, sometimes I think we forget that. We think that Jesus could have come and been born and then just died, but the fact is he had to do something else. He had to live. He had to run the race. The Bible sometimes talks about the the the, the the life as uh, our life following God is a is a a race, a course. And in some ways I would suggest think about it this morning like an obstacle course and if you've seen the show American Ninja Warriors, Ninja Warriors, think of it that way. So here's the deal. Every person and, and it starts with Adam and Eve, I'll show you them in a minute, but it's like okay, God says, Okay, here's the deal. You start here and you've got to trust me. And and there are all these obstacles on the way. We got to go on this bar, this way. We got to do whatever monkey bar. We got to go over here. And, and because you got you got to make it. You got to But here's the problem. Every one of us fails. None of us can run the race. None of us can complete the course. Every human being other than Jesus has failed. So what's happening here is Jesus is taking the place. He's getting ready and and, and that's why his life matters. <laughs> It's all hanging in the balance. Jesus has to be faithful where we were not. And if the devil can trip him up, if the devil can get him to fall, then we're all lost. And, and, and so again, if you think about it, the drama of this moment, again, I don't think we understand this as clearly as we should, but the drama of this moment is that we are all standing there looking at Jesus, beginning, ready to run the course, and we know everything hangs in the balance. If he falls... If he goes in the pit, we're all dead. He's got to win where we lost. He's got to run the race. He's got to be obedient. And that's why Matthew does this, especially at times. Jesus is put in places where he's facing temptations where God's people have failed, where it's very, very similar. Let me show you the two main ones that Matthew has in mind at this place. We go back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve, right? Representing all of us, as it were, our first parents, Somehow we were all in there. And and they're in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. Everything is just the way it's supposed to be. Everything is just right. They're in great fellowship with God, great fellowship with each other, with the world around them. And, And this original America, well, Eden Ninja Warrior course, has one obstacle. There's just one obstacle. There's a tree they can't eat from, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, everything else you can have. Just don't do this. I mean, come on, friends. That's our best chance. (laughs) This was the opportunity. Only one obstacle. If they could get around this one, (laughs) they did okay until the tempter showed up. The splitter, the one who wants to drive a wedge between God and them, between God and us. And, and, And the tempter says, You know, this is a beautiful place, but I don't understand. Did God say that you can't eat any of this fruit? God said, "You can't, it's so beautiful. And, and, and you can't." And Eve said, "No, no, no, no. We can eat any of it. We just can't eat from that tree." And, and Satan, unfortunately, I know way too well how he works. Because what he would have said at that point is, "Which tree, Eve? Th- this one. Show me again this one. And pretty soon he's got Eve, and all she can see, there are 10,000, 10 million good things. All she can see is the tree she can't eat from. <laughs> Ever been there? Have you ever had so many good things in your life but you can only see what you don't have? You only see what your neighbor has. You only see what that person has. The tempter says, this tree, huh? Yeah, he says, if we eat it, we're going to die. Guys, kids, Satan says, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I know you love the creator, but he's not who he says he is. You can't trust him. You're not going to die. If you do that, you're not going to die. In fact, it's going to be a great time. You are going to have your eyes open. You're going to be like God. Come on, you can do this. It's, you, 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 you can't trust God. You've got to take it on your own. You've got to take it in your own hands. You've got to do this. Adam and Eve go, and they eat, and they fail. They're in the ditch. And the New Testament says we all fell in the ditch then, every one of us. So God did that with Adam and Eve, right? Now he says, okay, I'm going to do a people. And so he takes his people. They're in Egypt. They've been in slavery for a long time. But God's going to rescue them. These people are going to, are going to do it. They're going to run the race. They're going to get faithful, all right? So God goes to, to Egypt. He's going to, he's going to rescue them. He's going to take them to the promised land. But, again, there's obstacles, And and this time, not just one, but there are thousands and thousands of ditches, of pits. But God says, you know what? If you trust me, if you trust me, he takes them across uh, the Red Sea. They go through on dry ground. When you get home, look up 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, because Paul says they were baptized into the Red Sea. Well, I'll be. Jesus was baptized and crossed the Jordan. Ding, ding, ding. See it? Matthew's got something going on here. Trust me. Trust me, obey my word. I will give you every day what you need. I will find you a path through this. Just trust me. I won't give you more than you need, but I'll give you what you need. Obey me. All right? God says, let's go. <laughs> If you know the story, it didn't take but probably 20 minutes. I mean, it was almost immediately. Uh, the, the serpent didn't show up in there, but they heard the voices in their head. Are we crazy? We're out in the desert. We can't do this. God's not going to take care of us. And almost immediately, boom, they're in the ditch and they fail. And the rest of the story of the Old Testament is God's people failing again and again and again and going from ditch to ditch to ditch. And so that's why. Okay, you got that? That's why now Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's got to run our race. He's, he's saying, all right, is <clears throat> saying, okay, here Jesus is. He's at the start of the course, and he's going to be there. Just like Adam and Eve, Jesus is, is facing the tempter, and the first temptation is going to be food. And just like Israel, Jesus has come out of Egypt. In Matthew 2, that's why I said it was important. Jesus has come out of Egypt. and is in the wilderness. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new Israel. And the question is, can he run the course? Because if he doesn't, you're lost. If he doesn't, I'm lost. So that's why this is like this uh, high drama here. That's what's going on here. That's why Jesus starts here. That's why the, the Spirit says, okay, you got to start here, and you're going to run this. And first there's going to be this battle, and then there's going to be a whole bunch of other ones. But it starts out there, and the tempter is going to have three challenges, three rounds of fighting, three obstacles, whatever you want to call them. Round one, what we might call the hunger test. Will we trust God to take care of our basic needs? And that's what Israel was out in the desert, right? Can we trust God to give us manna, as Steve mentioned every day? Will God give us water? Will he give us enough? After 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. He was in the the wilderness. He was alone. And he was hungry. And the tempter comes and says something that makes so much sense. If, and I think the stronger sense is really since. Since you are the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. Man, you need food. You didn't have a lot of meat on your bones before you got out here. And now look at you after 40 days of this. You've proven your point, okay? Okay. You've proven, you've done 40 days. I know, the Father said he would tell you when it was time. But I don't see him around here. And it's been 40 days. You have needs, you've got, because you've got to understand something. You've got to understand something. You're human now. You're not invincible anymore. You could die. And what good will it do anybody if you die of hunger out here in the desert? Come on, this is just a basic human need i'm not telling you jesus to make yourself a feast just enough to survive because you have real human needs and i understand that but you know who doesn't understand that your father in heaven because he's never been hungry he thinks 40 days is nothing he thinks you should be able to do this easily he doesn't know what it's like in the real world, Jesus. Come on, just take these stones and turn them to bread. I'll bet you'll do it for somebody else. Bet later on you're going to feed a whole lot of people. Why not take care of it yourself? And, and you've heard that voice. I've heard that voice. Probably not related to hunger. Most of us don't worry <coughs> about where tomorrow's food is going to come from. Most of us aren't worried about today's food. But we've heard about it in other ways. We've heard that voice in other ways. Imagine that you're at work. You need the job. The boss comes and says, hey, you got to do this. You say, hold on, that's not honest. I I promised my customer this. No, tell him this. Yeah, but that's not true. That's not, buddy, you don't listen to me. You don't do what I tell you to. You lose your job. You don't tell me that at that moment. You don't think to yourself, "I, I can't lose this job. I got a family to take care of. I mean, I would shoot straight if it was just me. But I got kids. They need a roof. They need, I cannot lose this job. That's the need. That's the test. That's the question. Will you trust to do the right thing to God? And when, when you know you're going to lose your job, you say, up? Well, but God will take care of me. Ooh. Because really, it's the real world. How many times haven't we fallen off the beam because this is the real world? And you've got to understand how things work in the real world. This is just the way it is, and, and you've been more committed than a lot of people, but look where you are. Imagine this. I don't know where you are on this great divide in humanity that happens soon, spring break, if you are among those of us left behind, but I'll tell you, as somebody who has been left behind way too often, you see those motorhomes or those cars or those planes leaving for Florida, there's a voice in the back of my head saying, Ron, you're a pastor. You deserve that. Come on, you're, you're better than them. You, you're more, right? You've seen that where somebody who you know is Robin Howe in Howe in the workplace, and yet they got a place down in Florida. You've proven you're committed. Just do this once, right? I mean, come on. The kids need to experience spring break. Or one I've heard, a man's got needs. It's a God-given need, and if your wife isn't meeting those needs, hey, what can you expect? Come on, it's okay. Go ahead and look at the porn. Go ahead and, and do whatever, because a man's got needs. That's all you. And I can't help it. I mean, God gave me this need, and again, or, or this way, God doesn't want me to be in so much pain. He's loving. That's all in this. This is all the basic hunger test. This is all saying, are you going to say, no, God, I'm going to trust you. You will meet my needs. It's not what I want right now, but you will take care of me and I will trust you. The key question is this. Will we trust the Father to take care of us? Will Jesus trust the Father to take care of him? Or will we take matters into our own hands? What will we do? Too often we failed. But again, the key question really is more important. How does Jesus do? He starts... And this is the first balance beam, whatever it is. But Jesus is there, and he hits the ball out of the park. Okay. Jesus is, no, man. It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the the mouth of God. I I would rather feed on God's word. Now, Jesus isn't saying, I I don't need bread. Jesus needs bread. (laughs) Those are our basic needs. But he says, I will trust that it will be in God's time. And I will trust, man, that's tough. When you're that hungry, when your needs are that strong. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Remember all those years Jesus spent learning scripture? It's how we face the devil, friends. It's how we fight with God's word. And Jesus gets a pass. He wins. And the crowd goes crazy. But Scott Jose, he said this and I wrote this and I read it and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. Because we've got to be honest about how this works. Because Jesus says, no, I will not do that. I will obey God. God says, pass. But Jesus is still powerfully hungry. See, if I were writing the story, Jesus would say, no, I do not live by bread alone, but by every word. And then God would come and say, great job, Ron, here. Have a Big Mac. Right, I've proven it, now give it to me. That's not the way it works, friends. Sometimes... We face a temptation. God doesn't just fix it right away. We're still hungry. It still is difficult. God didn't say, Jesus, if you pass, then you immediately, no, he's got more to do. So we go to round two. Obstacle number two, what we would call the the leap of faith. And, And I think the question here is, will we trust God? Will Jesus trust God when we can't see him, all right? Then the devil took him, took Jesus to the holy city had him stand at the highest point of the temple. This would have been, uh, the temple walls at this place were probably 50, 60 feet high. And then there was, it was on the edge of the city. So you might add another 20, 30 feet of, of wall there. And then it went down into a valley. So Jesus is, you know, 70, 90, whatever. He's, he's up there. Okay. So the devil takes him up there. And says, okay, if, again, since you are the son of God, Jump. Throw yourself down, for it is written, the devil can quote scripture. The devil knows scripture and says, Jesus, you like scripture? Okay, here you go. Here's scripture, do you believe it? Because here's what your father promised. He said, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands. And uh, excuse me, <coughs> Excuse me. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. They're going to catch you. They're going to catch you. Jump. Uh, the tempter was saying, and, I, and this is again how I imagine it, that, that I, you know, he brings him there and, and, and says, Jesus, let me just tell you something. I happened to be there at the Jordan River, and, and that was such a touching moment. Almost brought a tear to my eye. Oh, there you were. And the Father says, oh, I love you. And the Spirit is there. Y- you've had warm feelings at church, haven't you? You've had times in nature where you just knew God was with you. The devil says, oh, those are really great moments. But now we're here. Is is God with you on the edge of danger? Is God with you when things are ready to fall apart? Are you sure? I don't see a lot of evidence. I, I, I mean... It'd be a lot easier to run the rest of the course if you knew that he was going to be there. So, why don't you just make him prove it? Make him prove it. He promised it. You're just claiming his word, you're just claiming his promises. And you deserve to see some evidence. You know how much that tempts, at least me? I believe. But it was really easy to believe. A couple of us were singing. I, I stand there. I, Arms high and heart abandoned. Oh, God, you are the one who gave it all. But what about when we're at the edge of a grave of child? You ever thought, really, God? You have the power to do something about this. You love us. Why didn't you? Where's the evidence, God? I want to see something. You ever have a voice in the back of your head say, when was the last time you saw a genuine miracle? I mean, not someone, oh, Jesus changed my heart. You ever wanted to go to a faith healer? I've always wanted to do this. Go to a faith healer with somebody with a broken arm, 90 degrees. Say, don't take away back pain. Heal this bone right now. You know how much it would be if God would get like, that would be awesome. God, come on. I'm struggling here. I'm trying my best, but I need to know. (laughs) Give me a sign. Give me a sign. If you do this, then I'll believe. (laughs) It's hard to believe when you can't see. It's hard to believe when everything around you looks like, like God isn't there. When it falls apart. When kids die. When things happen that shouldn't happen. When it's not fair. And at that point, we have to ask, will we trust God when we can't see him? Or will we demand a sign? We say, God, if you don't do this, I can't believe anymore. And we might not publicly come out and say, I don't believe anymore. But inside, we say, no, God, I I can't do it. Again, the main question is not us, though. It's Jesus. How did Jesus do? (laughs) Boom, home run. Our guy is good. (laughs) We got a wonderful champion. I am so thankful for this. Jesus said, hey, look, dude. Let's play scripture, okay? It is also written do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't claim promises that weren't made for you. God didn't promise me that I could jump from here and do that. No, man, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to trust Him. Even when I can't see Him, I'm going to just follow and obey. And again, we get a pass. But, Scott, the Father still hasn't shown up. I mean, again, I would have said, okay, now that I know you'll trust me, even if I'm not there, you're not going to test me, then let let me float you down, buddy. Let me show you a miracle so that you can believe easier. Jesus walks down. The devil brings him down. God didn't step in and do anything right then. But Jesus says, I still believe. And so he's made it through the second obstacle, and the crowd goes wild, Yeah, I mean, really, our life is in the balance and the champion. Now we come to round three. And this is a tough one for us the possessions, power, and pleasure test. Will we love God more than his good gifts? The devil brings him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And I don't think it was just like saying, at that time. I think somehow the devil was able to to bring Jesus to a place, and he just started running the most beautiful, powerful, wonderful things in history past Jesus. I think he just filled the eyes of Jesus with cash and jewels and a feast. And I even have vegetables up there, which wouldn't be part of my feast, but some of you. Power. the the greatest powerful armies of the world, the the beauty of architecture and whatever that building is, the Guggenheim, And, and, and yachts, and it just went on and on. And Jesus has just got this all in front of him. He's starving. His clothes are ragged. I'll give you all of it. I don't mean to look like a used car salesman, but what's it going to take for me to get you in that stuff? All of it I'm going to give to you, he said. All you've got to do is just bow down. And the form of the verb, the form of the verb is a one-time event. This is not worship me for the next 21 days. It's not for the rest of your life. It's just once, five minutes, two minutes just one time he only had to bow once and he could have had it all could have won the world I mean the tempter is saying come on and he says to us we'll see that in a minute but these are all good gifts from your father he created there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves and that's true I mean, God gave us good gifts to enjoy. Why shouldn't you be the one to enjoy them, Jesus? Why are you here and Herod the pagan is in the palace? Why do you have no food and Herod the pagan and others like him are eating great meals? This just isn't fair. Besides, besides, think of all the good you could do with this. Jesus, you're not going to have to borrow a boat and preach from some old dinghy. You can preach from the Queen Mary. You're not going to have to walk. You can take the greatest chariot ever designed. Jesus, you can make your ministry make a difference. I mean, how often haven't we heard preachers say, if we only have a little more money, we could really do something. And best of all, Jesus, you won't need to go to the cross. I know, your father said you go to the cross and then you get all the, you, you, you get this besides, right? But you don't have to, you can have all this. You can have the world, Jesus. You can have it all. You, the father, you don't need to do that. You can have it all. Just bow for a moment, that's it. It's all you gotta do, and he tends to us. And if you haven't heard this, then you are a better person than me, but just a little bit more is all you need to be happy. Man, if you just had as much as your neighbor had, if you just had that, you'd have enough, enough joy, enough pleasure, just a little bit more. And you can get back to the more important things when, you, when you've got enough. Ever thought that? I know right now I'm working too much. I know right now I'm, I'm not putting enough time into the family, but I'm doing this for them. When I'm 40, I'm going to retire. All Jesus has to do is bow for a second. And he gets it all. Why shouldn't everybody else get these things? I mean, come on. They're good gifts. We'll do great things when we're rich. Man, the buildings we could build. The ministry we could do. We need more rich people. Let's not do anything to offend them. It is so tempting to take a shortcut It is so tempting to say, God, uh, we don't want to do that cross thing. We want to win with success. We want to win and, and, and just do this. And can we win without suffering? Will we love God more than his good gifts? Or will we gain the whole world and lose our souls? Jesus would have won for a while, but we would have been lost. And time and time again, friends, we choose to win today and lose on the things that matter most. But again, the question is, how does Jesus do? Not a shock. He says, dude, you're crazy. You're nuts. Why would I sell all this, the important thing, my relationship with the Father, saving all these people? Away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13. Why would I give this up for these baubles? The Bible always makes it clear. All those things that we think are the greatest things are extras. They're the, and when we get to heaven, gold is going to be so cheap, it's, it's pavement. People die and kill for it here. And we don't get what's important. And so the answer here is a pass. But there is still a cross to face. That's the way it is. The devil left him and the angels came and attended him. First three rounds go to Jesus. But there is a time of restoration, but the devil will be back. And every step of the way, the question is, will our champion earn the right to die for us? Will Jesus stay faithful in the garden? To think about that night before he was, he was crucified, as he's praying, he got just give me one more day, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it the next day, I'll do it the... Time and time again, Jesus is tempted to take away other than the cross. But Jesus passes all the tests all the way along the road. And he, he won where we lost. He was faithful where we were not faithful. And he earns the right to take our place. He becomes our champion. He earns the right to take away our sins. Paul says this. I told you, this helps with the whole New Testament. Romans five nineteen. Look at this. Paul says, for justice through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. Just as when Adam fell, we all did. Now, so also through the obedience of the one man, our champion, Jesus, we have the opportunity to become righteous. Friends, Jesus is the new Adam. And he got it right. Jesus is the true Israel, and he got it right. And I say to you today, as somebody who has failed all too often, as somebody who keeps failing, we need to know, and you need to understand, friends, the gospel, the good news today, is that Jesus Christ was faithful. Jesus Christ won the victory, and he went to the cross, and his Father raised him from the dead, and all of our sins are forgiven. We couldn't run the race, but he did. And he was faithful. And one day we will be able to run the course. And in the meantime, we praise God. And by following Jesus, by trusting that he is the bread of life, by putting the word of God in our hearts like he had it in his, in the meantime, by his grace and power, maybe we can stay a little more out of the ditch. Not because God hates us when we're in the ditch. Because it's not where God created us to be. Friends, it's okay. You don't have to pretend you've never been in the ditch. One of the things about Lent that's true is we can tell the truth. I'm a sinner and I've failed. and I haven't loved God the way I should. But Jesus did. And he won for me the victory. Let's pray together. Father, you'd like to believe we could have made that course that we certainly would have passed what Adam and Eve did we wouldn't have so we come and we confess that we have failed we have failed to love you failed to love each other but thank you that Jesus didn't just die but first he lived that he faced all the temptations we did, that he, but he came out on top. Jesus, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for surviving that hunger, that pain, those temptations, all these offers. Thank you for being our champion. Spirit, thank you for, for being with us now. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna stand and close by praising the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together you. If you want to uh, pray with somebody, there'll be some folks in the prayer room. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our victorious Jesus Christ goes with you. Amen. Amen.